Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. We are in the front end of a series on the foundations. I love that picture they had that for that book. Uh, the, what was it? Seven principles or something about foundations. The big old, what is it? Seven basics, the big old root ball there. And uh, we need deep roots and we need deep foundations. And so in order to get that, there are some, there are some things we need to understand. And that's what we're talking about. We're on the front end of this series. And uh, our primary passage we're going to be pulling from, and I, I will, after that we'll be getting into Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, especially focusing on Matthew 5 and the Beatitudes. But we're looking at Hebrews chapter 6 where the author said this. He said, let us leave the elementary teachings, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, faith in God, instructions in baptisms, the laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So we've got these six principles which become the foundation. And we're going to be looking at those. And uh, when, he, when the writer says, let us not lay them again, what he's saying is let's get these firmly laid in our lives so we don't got to keep drinking the milk of the word. We can move on to the meat of the word. And so we want to make sure that this is established in the house corporately and in our lives individually, that we have these things established. So last couple weeks we looked at repentance, we looked at the fear of the Lord, how that's associated with repentance and faith. And when you look at these six principles, in reality there's three sets of two. There's repentance and faith, they go together. There is instructions in baptisms and the laying on of hands, and I'll explain what I mean by that. Those two things go hand in hand, especially in the way the early church functioned as our example. And then we have resurrection of the dead and eternal judgments. Those two things go hand in hand. And so we're going to be looking at those. So we've looked at repentance, and now we're going to look at faith. And we need to understand that repentance is the disillusionment with ourself and the way we once lived our life. The old timers used to call it coming to the end of you. We've got to come to the place where we are disillusioned with ourself, so we abandoned our self-life, we no longer live for us, we no longer think we have it figured out, and so now we're looking for something else to latch our faith onto. Our faith used to be in us and our ability to pull it off. Anybody ever been there? And we learned the hard way that didn't work so well, and so we need to place our faith in Christ. And so repentance and faith are two sides to one coin in, very, in a very real sense. Repentance is the excavation. Faith is laying the foundation. But we've got to remove the old before we lay the new. And one of the great, uh, one of the great problems of Western modern Christianity is that we have people who ad- embrace faith but have never repented. And what that ends up being is it becomes, they become a very self-centered, shallow Christian. Jesus becomes a bolt-on accessory. And, and what we need to do is we need to forsake self. And there is emotion. There is, I'll even use the word revulsion. Uh, that's connected with repentance. Because we are so, if, if you are not troubled by the way you once lived your life, repentance has not been deep enough yet. I say that with utmost kindness. I love you. But you need to be revolted 
with how you once lived your life. Because without that, you will not forsake your old man to the degree that you need to. And so to the extent that we have not gone through the godly sorrow of repentance on the front end, we have to go through trials in our walk with God to be disillusioned with ourselves in our walk with God. You can do it beforehand or you can do it afterhand. It's up to you. <laughs> but the, be- the most productive way is to, be, is to allow the Lord to do that work in our life. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 talks about godly sorrow works repentance. Worldly sorrow leaves us with regret. We regret that we got caught, but we don't regret that we ever perpetrated the action. Godly sorrow says, I'm sorry I ever did that. The problem was not the consequences provided by authority figures or other people or life itself. The problem was, I brought that on me. I'm the problem. And when I really see that, I turn from that lifestyle and I throw myself on God. I recognize my moral bankruptcy. And I've got to come to the point where I realize I am morally bankrupt. We'll get into this in the coming days, but if you look at the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes are not just Jesus kind of slinging out some truths. There is a progression to the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who recognize their moral bankruptcy, and then they mourn because that will bring a grief on in our heart. We begin to grieve that what we worked so hard to build was simply a sandcastle and the waves of this life begin to just devastate it. You can actually live your life. They, they, you know the old saying, climbing the ladder? And at the end of your life, realize you had it against the wrong wall the whole time. That's a devastating thing. The sooner we realize that, the better. Because we can move our ladder and, and start doing, investing our life in the right thing. There are people who will stand before God and give an answer for their life. Paul says that they will go through the fire of judgment and they will come out as one who made it through the fire but nothing to show for their life. That's a sobering thing. And I don't want to be one that stands before God and realizes I invested my life in the wrong thing. How, are we gonna, how, how does that begin? I've got to have an awakening that I realize this, I can't give my life to these things anymore. And I give my life to what Paul calls learning Christ. So we have repentance, now we have faith. So faith is us throwing ourselves on God, trusting him. And so we have this idea of faith. I remember as a young Christian, I, I, was, I was wrestling this because I hear people say, we're saved by faith. No, we're saved by grace. No, we're saved by faith. Well, which is it? Uh huh. <laughs> we're saved by grace through faith. It's the grace of God that saves us. We can't take credit for that. It's by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. We can't. It's nothing to brag about. If 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 my dad gives me the keys to a really nice car, I don't drive around car and think, "Well, look at these these other guys who don't drive nice cars like me." No, it's it's a gift. I don't, I don't brag about that. I don't feel like I'm superior. If I do, something needs to happen in my head. That's kind of foolish. Salvation to a much greater degree. That it's a gift of God, but it's by faith, or by grace through faith. So you remember the picture of Michelangelo painted of the two fingers, the finger of God coming down and touching the finger of man? 
It's a beautiful picture of heaven touching earth. Well, grace is the finger coming down from heaven, but it has to be met by the finger of faith. Grace is the divine side of the equation. Faith is the human side, and we have to exercise our faith to receive because the grace is received through faith. You can't receive grace without faith. God doesn't just impose it on you. There is a surrender and exercise of faith that needs to take place. And so this faith thing is very important. And it's not just that we're saved by faith. We live by faith. We go from faith to faith. The whole Christian life is by grace and by faith. We grow in grace and we grow in faith. And we're to, we're to exercise that muscle called faith. Let's, let's look at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, if I can get my computer to cooperate. Still doesn't want to. I, my computer needs deliverance. I'm beginning to think that's not a joke. Okay, there we go. Verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not yet seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what was seen was not made out of things that are visible. And so we have this opening statement and this famous passage is known as the faith passage. The faith, or it's called the hall of faith because it goes through all these heroes of faith. And my, I was fully intending to start from there this morning. And uh, I woke up early this morning, set my alarm, it went off. I took my five-hour energy drink, slammed it down, put my blankets over my head and said, Jesus, what do you want to say this morning? I've been, I've been marinating in Hebrews 11. And uh, man, the Lord spoke to me very clearly. And it was verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Let's read it. Verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever draw near to God must believe two things. That he exists. Well, that's a good start. But even the demons believe he exists. They're not saved. Doesn't do them any good, does it? There's a second piece that needs to be understood. And that he rewards those who seek him. The King James Version said, He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith is required to please God. How many of you want to please God? Do you realize that there is a posture of the human heart that is pleasing to him? There's a posture of the human heart that causes God to be pleased. I want to bring, I tell you what, I felt God's pleasure this morning during worship. I did. You know, Scripture talks about the pleasure of God, and it talks about God's face being turned towards us. Lord, let your face shine upon us. And then, then there's passages in Scripture where they cry out, God, don't turn your face from us. That's not mere poetry. I'm telling you, the face of God, when, God he, when his face shining upon us is synonymous with his favor. You can walk in the favor of God, or you can walk without it. I've done both, and I prefer the, the, the former, okay? Walking in the favor of God is where we want to live. 
And I'm not even talking about salvation here. Okay? There's, we're saved by faith. But once you're saved, you can posture your heart to walk in the pleasure of God, to, have, to be pleasing unto the Lord, to attract his favor. There, I, I want to be a part of the tribe of the favorites. I wanna, yeah, I'm, what's your tribe? We're the favorites. I want to walk in God's favor. And there are people that carry God's favor, and there's people that don't. God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. There are those who live in the reward of God, and there's those who don't. That's a sobering thought. And we, we tend to think so much in the realm of the finger coming down of grace, and rightly so, we need to understand grace, but we also need to understand the human finger reaching up. And there is, there is faith that must be exercised as I was marinating in, in Hebrews chapter 11 this week, it struck me the, re, the repeating of this word, and he commended him, or he was commended, the commendation of heaven. There are, there's something that God commends. There are, some, there are those who are commended by God and others who are not. And the dividing line between those two is those who walk in faith. And we have a tendency, we, we don't like to talk like that because we're like, whoa, 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 we gotta, it's by grace and, and we, we can't boast. And so what we do is we relieve ourselves of any human responsibility and it's a form of false humility that says it's all God. And God says, no, it isn't. You need to exercise your faith. Now, we can't brag about that. God gave us the grace. And in actuality, faith is simply a revelation of who he is. How do I believe? God shows who he really is to me, and I respond accordingly. And when I see him for who he is, I would be, I have to be insane not to surrender to that. But we've got to respond. We go from faith to faith, grace to grace, glory to glory. God is revealing more and more, precept on precept to us. But we've got to respond. And God is the rewarder. But he's not a rewarder of everyone. He's a rewarder of a certain type of person, those that diligently seek him. We don't usually think of God through the framework of the rewarder. We don't like that because, oh, wait, he's distinguishing between people. Or, oh, man, we're going to get prideful. I used, to, I used to struggle with this thing. Here I was in ministry. This is horrible. This is a confession. I had to repent. I, I'm on, I have a lot of apologizing to do in heaven over some of my previous teaching when I was younger. But I used to think with the Teen Challenge guys, I can't encourage them too much or they'll get the big head. Life has a way of humbling us. They didn't need my help. You ever met someone that felt like they had the ministry of helping God humble you? I don't want to be that person. Now, we, we need to encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that you may not be hardened by sin's deceitfulness, Hebrews 6 says. Life itself will harden your heart if you're not careful. And so we need to be looked, because it's easy to harden your heart when you're discouraged. So what we need is a big bunch of people that are going around with a gift of exhortation and encouragement looking for somebody that's discouraged and pump some courage in them so that they don't harden their heart because it's real easy to be deceived when you're discouraged. So we can be a safeguard for one another. So this thing of, well, I, 
you ever heard someone, you, you give them a compliment and say, oh, that was really good, and they say, oh, it was the Lord. You ever heard someone say that? I heard Bill Johnson one time, he was talking, he said to someone, that song was so great. That was, man, I, I really appreciate when you sang that song, and they said, oh, it's the Lord. And he said, I wanted to say it wasn't that good. <laughs> That's false humility. Use the gift you have. And when someone compliments you, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm trying. God gave me the gift, but I'm trying to exercise it. I appreciate that. He said, what are you going to do when you get in heaven? And God says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Oh, it was God. Oh, oh, oh yeah. It's kind of an awkward moment. He's saying, no, it wasn't. And so we need to understand that God expects us to exercise our gift. When we talk about grace through faith, Jonathan Edwards, the great theologian, and uh, he was, he was a, one of the top philosophers America's ever put out. He was a colonial pastor. But he had this, this thought. He said, I thought it was very insightful. He said, grace is glory begun. Glory is grace completed. It starts with grace, but what is he doing? He's bringing his sons and daughters to glory. And so grace working in our life is to bring glory. What, what glory is, is the full expression of what God has put within you as potential. God is glorified when you become who he's called you to be. That unique expression, that unique mix of gifts and experiences that he put within you genetically and formed you through life, and that he's got, he wants a unique expression of himself to be manifest in the world through your life, and that's glory. And the only way to bring God glory is to move into glory to manifest all that he is. When Moses said, God, show me your glory, God said, I'll, I'll let my nature pass in front of him. And he began to declare his character. But we fall short of glory, the character of God. So Jesus is the hope of glory. He comes and lives inside of us. And the character of God is cultivated within us so that we can manifest what he already put within us and we bring him glory. That was a little short message on glory. But all of that takes an exercise of faith because it's grace through faith. And that isn't a one-time thing at salvation. God is looking for those whom he can commend, on whom his pleasure rests. But it is impossible to please God without faith because you gotta believe two things. Number one, that God exists. It's pretty hard to... Please him if you don't even believe he exists. But it's not good enough just to stop there. There's a lot of people who believe God exists, but there's no fruit in their life. We have to believe he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. There is a framework, a principle. It's one of the ways of the kingdom. You remember Jesus would teach on the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom. The, the Greek word kingdom is basilia. The, the English word is actually king's dominion. What he's saying is, I'm going to give you insight into how I govern my kingdom. I'm going to give you insight into how I exercise my rule, my dominion. And one of the ways in which the ways of God, the way he's exercising dominion, is God is a rewarder. He's looking to and fro, and what he's looking for is faith. Because faith is what will cause you to take the step and begin to produce fruit. And I, I'm, I'm concerned that we don't have an understanding of faith and we're so, we're so 
I, I hear a lot of people, the faith movement has been beat up on, and they'll say, well, you know, you, you act like this, it's a force you use on God. No. It's a gift God put within us that we must exercise, and you cannot get away from several troubling passages, like Jesus telling someone, your faith has healed you. In other words, there was an exercise of faith to receive the grace to have physical healing. And that, those are Jesus' words. Take it up with him. Your faith has healed you. Now, when I've prayed for someone and they don't get healed, I don't say, oh, well, you just need more faith. You know what I think? I need more faith. I'm doing the praying. They're the ones in, in the dilemma. They're the ones struggling. I'm the one that's not sick, and I'm doing the praying. I need more faith. But I don't chalk it off as, oh, that's just the sovereignty of God. I lean in and say, Jesus, you paid an awful price for their healing. And Lord, I'm asking, build my faith so that they can have the breakthrough that they need. Because God's a rewarder of faith. The parables of Jesus reveal this principle of his kingdom. He was faithful with little, becomes faithful with much. He rewards them. When you exercise your gift, when you invest what God has given you, he gives you more. You walk in favor. And, and all the parables, you look at the, the, the way in which these servants, when they stood before the master, and Matthew uh, 25 is a great example, when they, the parable of the talents, and they, they, you know, it says the master returned to settle accounts, and he said, what did, I, what did you do with what I gave you? And the two first ones, one said, master, you entrusted me with five talents, and now I've produced five more. And what does the master do? There's this, this admiration that emanates out of the servant. Lord, this was such a privilege, such an honor. You believed in me. And the way I responded is I put to work what you put in me, and now I give it back to you. And the master commends them and says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He didn't say, stay humble, it was all me. He said, no, I am going to accredit your faith as righteous. I'm going to put something in your account. I'm giving you credit. I'm commending you for the exercise of your faith. Now, it's all by grace, but you have to exercise your faith. And it's nothing we can brag about, but don't dismiss the level of your faith and the necessity of you exercising it. Because I think there's a whole lot of, because when we, when we begin to go down that road, what happens is we interpret faith as some passive thing. Well, I'm just waiting to see if God moves because he's sovereign. And if, hopefully he might do something, but I'm just waiting to see and I believe him. All the while, God is saying, you exercise your faith. Faith is not a passive thing. It is an active thing. Matter of fact, let's look here. Look at verse 10, 32. So this is, this is what precipitates the writing of chapter 11, what we know as the faith chapter. Listen to what the writer says. He said, but recall, this is 32, but recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, 
and sometimes being partner with those who were so treated. You gotta understand, the Hebrew church, the, 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 the audience to which the writer was writing had been persecuted because of their faith. They had gone through terrible persecution, and now he's commending them for holding to their faith in the process. And listen to what he goes on to say. Verse 34, for you had compassion on those in prison, some of them went to prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. They broke in and ripped you off, took your belongings. He said, why, why did you joyfully accept that? Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession. They said you had something more valuable and that was your, 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 your salvation, your relationship with God. And the treasures you were storing up in heaven from earth. You had, and these were, these better possession, it says, and an abiding one. They're eternal. They'll, moth and rust cannot destroy them. So because they had that perspective, they were able to rejoice. And then he says this. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence... The word confidence is confide, with faith. Confidence, which has a great reward. There it is again. All through this passage, it's rewards, commendations. The Lord's saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I don't know about you, but that stirs my heart. I want to hear that from the Lord. I want the pleasure of the Lord. I want his face shining down upon me. I want to know that the posture of my heart is pleasing to him. Whether anybody else understands or anybody else knows, it's not about public commendation. It's about that personal knowing. Lord, you're pleased with me. Lord, you've done so much for me. I just want to live my life in such a way that blesses your heart. And so he goes on, he says, Therefore, don't throw away your confidence. It has a great reward. For you have need of endurance. You see, faith will enable you to endure. And I would propose to you that the time your faith is expressed the most and the clearest is when you need endurance the most. It's when life seems to be contradicting what you know to be true about God. And in those times, because there's this thing of faith. Faith is, I know who he is. But there's also the fight of faith. What's that? It's when circumstances are contradicting what I know to be true about him. And all of a sudden I'm in a dilemma. Am I going to believe my circumstances and the trial and everything that's coming against me? Or am I going to believe what he said, who he is? And that's the fight of faith. And the time where we need faith the most is in that time of contradiction where the worlds are colliding. I'm trying to live from the perspective of heaven where God's will is being done. But I also have responsibility down here. I'm looking to the sweet by and by, but I'm living in the nasty now and now. And I'm trying to believe here in that fight of faith. And when we hold to that, that's when we need faith the most, and that's when our faith is expressed the most. The clearest expression of your faith your clearest, true theological statement is when you're living in a trial. What do you really believe? It's not our Sunday school theology where we know the right answer when the teacher says, does anybody, and you raise your hand, and you give a 
pristine theological statement. Well, you sit in air conditioning and a comfy chair and all that. But what, what about when life seems to be falling down around your ears? During the first service, we opened the altars for prayer and, and a gentleman came up to me and just tears filled his eyes. And uh, I know a little of his history. And he had gone through a hard time a number of years ago and walked away from the Lord. Comes from a very godly family. And he's been walking with the Lord these past few years and he, he was telling me how he's, he's taken some new steps of faith and he said, and as soon as I did it, Pastor, he said, all hell is broken and his eyes just fill with tears. This broken, this broken, this broken. Uh, my finances and all this stuff. And he said, he said, what led me away before was this lie. God, I thought there were benefits. See, that living from that self-centered as a Christian. And he said, those things were just raging in my mind the other day as I was walking in the yard. And he said, but I, I refused to give voice to that. It was raging. And he said, I just kept saying, God, I know you're good. I love you. I'm going to serve you. And man, it just moved me. I could feel the pleasure of God over him. But I also know that when I'm in those circumstances, I rarely feel that for myself. It's easy to see it on the outside looking in. But the faithfulness of that heart, that is an exercise of faith that is very pleasing to the Lord. You ever wondered why God takes faith so personal? It's like, whoa, Lord, just mellow out here, you know. You know, just, I'm just wrestling with my theology. Why do you take that so personal? You know why he takes it personal? You know why he's reduced this thing to faith? God takes it personal precisely because it is. Our faith, what we really live, because you only obey what you believe and you only believe what you obey. Our faith is the clearest form of worship we will ever lift to heaven. It is your clearest theological statement, your clearest evaluation, your clearest assessment of God's nature. See, it's not just believing God exists. I wasn't down here worshiping. Man, I got broken. I saw some of you worshiping. It just broke me in half. But I wasn't worshiping you because I believe he exists. I believed he existed when I was a homeless alcoholic. I knew he existed. I just didn't trust him enough to surrender the direction of my life over to him. The reason I worship him is because I know he is so good. His nature is so good. And then you add to that what a bonehead I was and how I knew him and walked with him and turned my back on him and became an enemy of God. And when I cried out to him, when I'd made a royal mess in my life, he came rushing back in to pick up the pieces. He's good. He's good. And I'm telling you, that is the fight of faith. Because there are times where the circumstances, we live in war. We live in a fallen world that is at war with the heavens. And it's trying to contradict what heaven says. It's trying to redefine God in our minds. 
and your exercise of faith in the midst of the trial where you say, God, I don't know why all this is happening. And I know some of you, and I know some of what you've been through. I know some of you look at the busted little body of your children, and you think, this is not God's will. And you believe in healing, and you've seen other people healed, and yet your own child is still ill. Some of you lost loved ones to diseases that you know have been healed in this house in the past, and God didn't heal yours yet. And in the midst of that, we take our stand, and the swirling winds of lies and contradictions, we need to declare, God, you are good. You are good. Lord, and I'm telling you, when you... There's a reason that Psalm, what is it, 22, that passage we quote so much, God is enthroned in the praises of his people. You know what else is right there? My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Lord, why have you closed your ear to my cry? Yet I know you are enthroned on the praises of his people. I'm telling you, the greatest throne, the greatest worship, what really paves the way for God to be enthroned in your circumstances is when things are the hardest and you hold to your faith. And God is looking for those to whom he can commend. He's looking to and fro throughout the earth. Who can I reward? God takes it very, very personal. Because it is. Because what you say in the trial is what you really believe. And I want to tell you, there's been some times I've said some things to the Lord that I'm embarrassed about in the time of trial. And so I'm not throwing condemnation on anybody. I've been there, and I've been so angry and so confused, but I have found that when the dust settles on my little pity party, he just began to love on me. I'm telling you, he is good and he is enough to pull you through anything. But I'm also telling you that faith is something you exercise and you have a choice. You have a choice. Will you choose what he says he is? Will you decide to see him through the lens of the time he broke through and he revealed himself and began to look through that circumstance at the one that's not moving? Or will you begin to look through the circumstances and turn that on God? You can take a, one of those scopes, you know, and you can see things and it blows it up afar. You can get those, you ever looked the wrong way through some binoculars? They're not very handy. And that's what we end up doing. We end up looking at God through our circumstances. He looks so far away and it's not even real. As I was praying this morning, I felt there was two things the Lord wants to tell us today. He is a rewarder. That's what he calls himself. Listen, whatever you're going through, you take your stand of faith, and nothing can stand. You are on an impending collision course with a reward if you will hold the line. And I really felt this morning that there's some of you, the Lord is speaking 
Hebrews 10 to you. Don't let go of your confidence. Because there's a reward coming. Hold the line. Let me read it to you again. Years ago, the Lord spoke this to me. I was, I was a young homeless alcoholic when I met Jesus, and I went into Teen Challenge. And uh, God was just digging through my heart. There was so much junk. And uh, I'm speaking to you, young man, that came up to me and talked to me. There was so much junk, and I just wanted to say, forget it. I just wanted to go medicate myself again. And the Lord spoke this to me. And it was like I was on the precipice of opportunities that I was backing away from. I thought, man, this, I can't do this. It's, it's too painful, it's too much, my insecurities, all those things. And I opened the word and this thing jumped off the pages so I, meant, I memorized it and I would read it every day and it would strengthen my spirit. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. And there's some of you this morning, I'm gonna ask you to bow your head and just close your eyes and let this word penetrate your heart. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, my friend, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And then listen to how he prophesies to us. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. I had this distinct feeling this morning that there's some of you that feel like giving up. It's like the fiery pressures are trying to push you off the spot of faith. And you're, you're being tempted to reinterpret God and turn around and accuse him and give up and just quit. You're, you feel like, I can't do this. And I'm here to tell you, hold the line. He is good. I know it doesn't look that way under the clouds. But I'm telling you, over the clouds, the same sun shines. When life contradicts what I know to be true about God, somewhere my circumstances and my theology merge. But it's too far, it's, it's above the cloud line, it's above my pay grade, I, it's, it's more than I can understand. So I have to humbly stay down here and say, God, I don't understand how I can reconcile these two. But I know this, you are good, and I'm going to worship you. I'm going to worship you when I bury the ones that I wanted you to heal. I'm going to worship you when I lose the job I thought you gave me. I'm going to worship you when I can't make financial ends meet. I'm going to endure. And I'm telling you, when we do that, you are on a collision course with reward because God says of himself, I am the rewarder. And not everybody enters into that reward. Not everybody gets the same reward. Let me put it this blunt. I said this the early service, and I thought, well, that sounds controversial, but I'm in a controversial mood right now. You are, your salvation, your entrance into heaven is a gift. It's a gift of God. But your rank when you arrive is earned. Your rank, what you have on the other side, will be determined by the way you lived your life. 
And there won't be a one of us that stand before his burning eyes and brag about the house we live in up there. We'll be humbled before his glory. But make no mistake about it. There's rank in heaven, there's reward in heaven, and there's reward this side of earth. And it all depends on how we posture our heart towards him. I'm going to ask you to stand. I just felt this morning like there's some of you just, you're, you're in the fiery trial. I mean, it is hot, and you're being tempted to give up. And there's, there's an encouragement from heaven for you this morning. Stay in there. Stay in there. There is a reward. God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.